All right, let us begin. And uh, um, Riley will have to join us as we go. Um, so the, the um, Gemara at the beginning of Yud Gimel Ahmed Aleph is, is dealing with the question of, uh, dealing with the question of at, uh, at what age is it possible for someone to be, to be an adult Oh, sorry, to have a child, and does that does that constitute um, a sign of adulthood? And therefore, the question is: Is it possible for someone to do miyun, which is a uh, 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 disavowal uh, 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 or or a um, uh, reneging on the on the, mar- on the marriage, which is a rabbinic marriage, and uh, and and uh, then and all, and also have a child. So the Gemara says two versions here, and this is an, an important uh, conversation because we know girls at the age of twelve and boys at the age of thirteen become halachic adults. They become obligated mitzvahs and count as adults. And, but the Gemara says it's not only in the age, but it also see money. And simanim sim, uh, generally would mean uh, signs, indications of uh, of adulthood, so maturity. So uh, essentially, what we would say is that it's not specifically the uh, um, age; it's also not specifically a particular symbol, a sign of the maturity in adulthood, but rather it is the combination of. The, however, we have. Here, a scenario where where uh, this girl gives birth, and the question is: Is that she's let's say uh, eleven or twelve, and, and we don't know whether that, that's a simon or not. So, the first opinion, uh, the Gemara says, kisimanim, or adivimisimanim, that that having a child in and of itself is proof. Uh, uh, or uh, sorry, is better than a sign. So if if you have any particular signs of of uh, uh, puberty, such as hair growing, which the Gemara says is a simon, uh, is a sign of adulthood of maturity. Uh, children having children will be the same. By the way, over here uh, on the daf it says that it is becoming pregnant. Ramam says it's giving birth. It's interesting. Why would the becoming pregnant not be enough of a sign of maturity? In any case, what we have in the second opinion, which is the beginning of our daf, he says something else. You can't have children without simanim, meaning the the children in and of itself would not be a sign of maturity. But there's no such thing as having children and not having simonim, not having uh, uh, um, uh, what we call signs of puberty, which would be hairs. So what 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 what, what is the meaning here? The farshim will deal with what's what would be, why would uh, 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 you need other signs together with the, that? Uh, or why would you not just say this is a sign as much as that's a sign? If it's all just an indication of maturity, an indication of development, so why would one development, one indication be greater than the other indication? That's the question. And from there, it seems that Rabbi Zvid holds, as opposed to the first opinion, that hairs are not an indication of maturity, but they themselves are the definition of creating adulthood. It's a very interesting thing. We know in, in halacha that there are two types of testimony, edus, that can be given. There is edus, testimony, that just requires a knowledge and understanding of uh, information. And, and for that, women, men, uh, uh, servants, they can all testify because all we need is the information. So the uh, question is, is this kosher or not? Uh, anybody can testify to that because we just need a knowledge. And then there are certain things that require 
a, a not not the knowledge. The knowledge may be there, but it requires a, 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 a um, procedural testimony in basin. Procedural testimony is specific, and for that, it has to be two male adults, etc. Now, the Gemara has an interesting conversation in the Sanhedrin. Can one pair of two witnesses testify that they saw one uh, hair on this uh, maturing a child, uh, and that's not enough as a sign of maturity? And then another two witnesses will say, we saw another hair on on that uh, maturing uh, person. And then combined, you now have two hairs and that would testify as, uh, as uh, 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 and that would be enough testimony to say that this child is really an adult and halakhically obligated in mitzvahs for whatever the, the, the cases would be. So the Gemara says that doesn't count because al pishnai made him yakum davar v'lochatsi davar. It has to be that it will establish a complete matter and not a partial matter. Now, for sure, if the halacha is simply to understand, to have the knowledge, is this child an adult or not? Then any, you don't need two witnesses, and you don't need, uh, uh, um, you, you don't need them to testify about the whole thing. Any amount of testimony would be sufficient because it's not testimony in the, in the uh, function, in the, uh, um, uh, uh, procedural testimony, it's a knowledge. And anybody can testify for that. And any form of knowledge would be sufficient for that. From there, the, the, the uh, Shita Mekubetes uh, tells us that we see from this that, uh, like the indication of the Gemara here, that actually the, the hairs are not a sign that that, ex that uh, there is a maturity, but they are themselves the definition, the, 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 what makes the maturity. And since it is what makes and defines this adult, this child as an adult, uh, therefore it needs procedural testimony. So uh, we have two opinions here in Gemara, and really this is an important uh, understanding of what is the structure of uh, of uh, becoming an adult? Is it that you need a particular, uh, a, a, a particular development within the child so that they now count as an adult? And one of these things would be uh, uh, having at least two, or according to Yehuda, many hairs, uh, or uh, body hairs, or do we say no? Those are only signs of, of, of uh, purity or maturity. And the, the actual maturity is the, the totality of the adult, of the child becoming an adult. And we're just looking for various signs and, 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 and uh, uh, proofs for that. So the, the first opinion would say, Rav Safra would say, well, actually any sign is enough uh, that the body's matured and that's all we're looking for. And therefore becoming pregnant would be a sign um, uh, uh, here's would be a sign. Whereas Rav Zvid says, no, there is a requirement to have specifically this form of identification for adulthood. And once somebody has that, um, uh, they, they are defined as an adult. And therefore, even becoming pregnant, he says, it's not in and of itself a sign of adulthood because we're not looking for a sign. We need a specific marker. Rather, what he says is, since Pregnancy would never come with someone who doesn't already have uh, body hairs growing. Therefore, in and of itself, uh, uh, it's not a proof, but it is a proof in, in as much as I now know that the required or the requisite sign is there. So that's a distinction here. It's a very unique idea in uh, what is the definition of adulthood, of, of having matured. Is it the symbols and signs, or is it an actual marker that would define is there an explanation for why um, getting, it, it seems like it would be very easy to understand if you say that it's a sign, then really we're looking for some form of maturity, right? The Torah is asking, expects people who are mature to do mitzvot, but before you're mature, right, you're not. So that, like, that would be an easy way to understand it is just that really we're looking for maturity and this just indicates 
who's mature enough or who's old enough to, to, to apply to. In this new way of looking at things, I guess the reverse vid way, where it's it's the actual thing itself is making you mature. It's like, is there any explanation for why that would why the Torah would expect someone specifically with hairs to keep mitzvos and someone without hairs not to keep mitzvos? Yeah, um, there is a discussion about that as well as like wh wh where did this come from and and what happens if this comes at an earlier age? What happens if this comes at eight, nine, ten? Uh, you know, it's an interesting thing that the, uh, the uh, there is most can say that um, earlier generations children were maturing much earlier. It seems today also it's coming back into a certain way that that uh, there is a, a, a significant uh, 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 percentage of the population is uh, uh, maturing at a much younger age, sometimes as young as nine, eight or nine. So those are, you know, that's very young. Um, and for whatever reasons, there are theories out there. But the, the, the point is, the question is, is it just a sign and symbol or is it an actual requirement and and then where would it come from the rush over here and elsewhere says that it's it's Allah like all measures uh for those that did Daf Yomi this morning and the Daf Yomi we learned that and so shiurim measures are Allah and this is a measure this is a form of what age this uh um uh, is is this maturity? By the way, an interesting thing that some sefer holds that this is only in particular to to uh, um, to Jews. Non-Jews become mature at uh, the age that they become mature, whenever it is. And so um, it, 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 the the halacha mishmasina that has to be at twelve and thirteen, and it has to have the sign. Um, and before that, it wouldn't count. Shanim v'simanim, years plus the simanim, is particular to Jews. According to some several, what you would have is somebody who uh, uh, is maybe matured at the age of nine and at 10 converted, and they went from being an adult to being a child, halachically. Um, uh, or or that at nine, they are an old enough that they can make a decision on their own to, to convert. Yeah, very interesting ideas, but the concept, the, the question you're asking is very good. Like, where, where does this come from? And uh, there are different uh, Rishadim that have different interpretations, but ultimately uh, we're going to go with, with the rush over here who says that it is Allah Hamashimah That's the tradition we have from Sinai. That's what it is. And therefore, it's at 12, at 13, and that's Abnatsa. The, um, the 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 next Gemara talks about how do we know uh, Litzra? How do we know that Tzara is Asr? So the, really, this Gemara was already brought in the previous Gemaras when we're trying to figure out um, uh, what is the reason that there that we that we even need a pasuk, and what is the reason that we would have to say that it's that that um, uh, why would I think? that they could do this mitzvah, right? As we saw for many pages. So here the Gemara says, It says litzror to tell you that not only the erva itself, the prohibited uh, wife of the brother, but also the sister wife of that one would also be prohibited. Ravashi Amar Svarihi. Ravashi says it's a logical conclusion. My time asir the makam erva kaiba. Why is it prohibited? Because the, the marriage of Ruvain, who's deceased, oh, um, to Rachel, was, uh, who was prohibited, cannot pass over. And she, as a sister wife within that marriage, also can't pass over because she's a Tzara Serva. Well, then the Tzara Tzara would be the same as well. Tzara Tzara Nami, she is now in a place of Erva because the wife may not have, uh, uh, may not have Yibum. So too, she can't have Yibum. And we talked about this at length in uh, the first few daf to explain that uh, uh, question, what do we need a specific teaching for Tzara's Tzara? After all, if, as long as there cannot be a, a mitzvah of Yibum, then the original prohibition of the, the, it's a brother's wife remains. 
and this is going to be relevant a little bit of the Gemara. Again, the, the structure is, as soon as Ruben marries a woman, all of the brothers are prohibited with this woman, or this woman is prohibited to all the brothers, as a brother's wife, forever. And it's only if there's a mitzvah that either becomes suspended or superseded by the mitzvah. But either way, that's only if there's a mitzvah. If there's no mitzvah, then the original prohibition remains. And so too for the tzara, for the sister wife, once there's no mitzvah, meaning there's no passage of the uh, uh, transference of the, of the uh, uh, marriage from the deceased brother to the surviving brother, well, if there's no transference, so that, that prohibition remains. So, of course, the next one would be a Tzoras Erbez one. Man, we, we saw a few uh, answers and interpretations, but here's the place where that uh, comes up. Ketzad and Mesu, hey. So the Gemara says, what cases are we talking about? So we said one of the cases is, we had Reuven is uh, uh, married to, uh, to, to a woman, and um, that's an erva to his brother. So uh, may, maybe he married his brother's daughter, okay? So Reuven and Shimon, two brothers, and he marries his brother's, Reuven marries Shimon's daughter. Now, obviously, Shimon is, Reuven is prohibited, uh, uh, sorry, Shimon is prohibited to Reuven's wife. It's his own daughter. Now, Reuven takes his second wife, not related to anyone. So they were, they were co-wives at a, at a certain point. And then he divorces the erva. Do we say that uh, now, it, when he dies, childless, that the Tzara Sarva cannot be removed? After all, for a moment, for some time during that, their life, they were in a marriage together with, uh, the, the, um, with an Arab. So that's a Gemara. Kanas of even if he uh, first married the co-wife, and then divorced the erva, and still um, it'll be okay. So for a minute we ask a question. Gimel Achim. So here's a case of three brothers. Two of them are married to sisters. Now, once they married sisters, there's, there's a prohibition anyhow. Right? So Reuben and Shimon marry Rachel and Leah. Uh, it, uh, besides for being the brother's wife, it is also the wife's sister for each one of them. But the third brother, Levi, marries someone else, someone else not related to the two sisters. And now one of the brothers who, who is a, uh, um, who's married to one of the sisters, so Reuven, who's married to Rachel, divorces Rachel. And now Levi, who is married to just somebody else, not related, now uh, divorces his wife. Uh, uh, sorry, and now he dies. So we have Reuven and Shimon. Reuven was married to a sister. Shimon was married to a sister, Rachel and Leah. Levi, who is married to someone else out there, dies childless. And this someone out there now has to have Yibum done by one of the two brothers. The Kansamagarish, the one Reuven who had already previously divorced one of the two sisters, Rachel, that was that Reuven and Shimon were married to the two sisters, and he divorced the one. And he now did Yibum on this woman out there, a different woman. Umes, and now he dies. Zuhi Shamru Sheemesa and his Garshits are the same place. Here's where we say that the second wife, never having been in the marriage together with the erva at the same time, does yibum. Time of the girish vachakonas. It's only because they divorced the erva prior to having uh, married this this sister. Meaning they were never co-wives at the same time. But if they were, he couldn't do yibum. He couldn't do it. So here the Gemara is going to give us an answer, which, which. Uh, takes us to a, a fundamental point, which we mentioned at the beginning, and I would just want to highlight it again. 
The structure of Yibum is Reuven marries a woman. Any woman that it may be, Reuven marries a woman. And now he dies childless and he has brothers. His marriage is transferred over to the, to the uh, uh, surviving brother. That's the structure of Yibum. His marriage transferred over to the other one. And Morris says, okay, very nice. Uh, wh- at what point is that, is, is there a marriage? The Shimon, the, the recipient of the brother's marriage, at what point is that transfer made? Or really, let's say it this way, at what point does he marry this woman? Do we say that the Zika, at the moment of the death of the, of the, of the uh, brother, he, his marriage transfers over to him? That's called Misa Mapelas. It is the death that makes it fall, that makes the marriage transfer to the other brother, to the surviving brother. Or do we say, no, you need an act of kiddushin. You need a chuppah. You need a moment of creating the marriage. At which moment was the marriage created? Way back when, when the, the, the deceased brother married this woman, that's when the kiddushin was affected. If that's transferred over, so then Kiddusha Rishonim Apelis. It is the original act of Kiddushin of the deceased brother that makes marriage to the surviving brother. Essentially, what this says is like this. When a person does Kiddushin to a woman, what he's saying to her is, Hariat Mokadeshusli, you are betrothed to me, we are married, in as much as that we are bonded to each other, you're committed to me, and prohibited to any other man. Besides, besides for if I die childless, then my kiddushin that I'm doing now with you transfers to my brother. The original kiddushin is what passes on to the brother. And what distinction does that have? Many distinctions, but in here in our Gemara, if at any point there was an erva in that marriage, then it couldn't pass over. So even though that happened way back when, but if at any time there was a co-erva with, with this woman, she couldn't do evil. Even if at the time of the, the, deceased, the, the, the death of the deceased, even if at the time that, that, that Kiddusha was gone anyhow, because he had divorced the erva. Nevertheless, and since it was the original Kiddusha that is being passed, that can no longer be passed because there's an Arab in the marriage and there's a co-wife of an Arab. That's what this Gemara is saying. Kiddusha Rishonim Apelas. The original act of Kiddusha is what's going to transfer into the, uh, the uh, marriage to the surviving brother. However, um, the, the simpler way, and this is the way we actually go, and the, and, and, and the Gemara is saying is that the idea is that, no, it's the death of the, of, of the brother who first married this woman that now transfers the Kiddushan over to a surviving brother in order to establish his name because he died childless. That is the, uh, the moment of the transfer. And that's the Gemara. Tana Savar, Hai Tana Savar, Kiddushan Misama Pelas. This opinion says that it is the death of the brother that causes the Kiddushan to pass over. And the other opinion says, no, it's the original condition that, that passes over, that passes to the, the surviving brother. Now we get to uh, the next mission. This is a very um, interesting mission for many reasons. So first case, really, the Gemara gives us a case that's not really Arab, not really Yibo. Essentially, it says that if someone else not related to Yibo is married to someone that you're not allowed to be married to anyhow and has a sister wife and then that person dies, you're allowed to marry the sister wife because there was no relationship to Yibam, there's no possibility to Yibam anyhow. There's six erva that's even more strict, which are married to someone else. So yet you're allowed to marry the tzara, the sister wife of that marriage. For instance, Imo, his mother, his father's wife, and his, and, and his fa- uh, uh, the father's sister, 
sister from his father, a paternal sister. His, uh, uh, the wife of his uncle, his father's brother, or uh, the wife of his brother from his father. Either way, the idea is that these are not an erva state in any case, uh, sorry, not a yibum state in any case, and therefore, if the marriage ends, you can marry, obviously not the erva, but the sister. Here, the Gemara is going to throw in a shocking uh, uh, change. We went through uh, 11 or midst of the 12th daf of the Masechta, and the entire time we're talking about that if somebody has a mitzvah of doing yibum, his brother died childless, the widow uh, is to be married with yibum in order to reestablish the brother's, uh, uh, brother's household. That's the mitzvah. And if you're not allowed to marry that woman because she's an erva, so then even any other wife in that marriage cannot, Yibum cannot be done. That's what we've been going throughout the Masechta. And here the commission says, oh, by the way, Beishamah doesn't agree to that concept at all. They say there is a mitzvah Yibum on the tzara on the sister wife. Beishamah matirin hatzaris, and even though the word is matirin, it means they obligate. If there's, it's permissible, then there's an obligation. Hatzaris la'achim to any of the brothers. Well, say that it's prohibited. And as the Gemara is going to tell us, Bishamai did not follow this idea of Tzoras Erva, the Tzora of a, the, the sister wife of an Erva being prohibited to you. And this has ramifications, as the mission said. Uh, if you do Chalitza, the Chalitza doesn't really work according to Bishil, so she can still marry a Kohen. According to Bishamai, the Chalitza does work, which is the ending of the marriage. It's basically a divorce, and a Kohen may not marry a divorcee. Various other uh, halachic ramifications, and it has enormous ramifications for for uh, um, mamzer. It can create a mamzer because is she uh, prohibited to uh, to uh, someone or not? Is there a real erva here or not? According to Bishamai, there is a mitzvah to do yibum for this woman. According to Beis Hillel. Not only is there no mitzvah, it's an erva prohibition. It's a brother's wife. And if they have children afterwards, that child would be a mamzer. The Mishnah says something spectacular. Even though that the, the, the students of Beisham uh, said it's permissible to do a yibum, and therefore they would do yibum. And uh, the students of Hillel said it's prohibited and therefore would be considered the child of such a marriage would be a mamzer and prohibited. And nevertheless, the, children, the, the students of Beishamai and the students of Hillel would intermarry into each other's families. And also similarly, even though that they had many dis- different uh, differences in Allah in regards to Tome and Tahara, what is a, a, a pure vessel, what's not. They would not hold back from, from keeping that which they're trying to keep to and using vessels from the other. So Rashi explains. And the reason for this that they wouldn't hold back is because they would notify each other who um, is, is um, prohibited. So Beshamai is coming to make a shidduch with someone from Basil and say, by the way, according to your opinion, you can't marry into my family, so, so let's stay away. That's what they would say. It's a fascinating, spectacular thing. I respect your opinion so much that even though I disagree, and based on your opinion, my family structure is a totally prohibited family structure. I respect you and you respect me. Because we're learning Torah, we're seeking Torah, we're seeking truth enough that even though to, to you, my family is a prohibited structure, okay, we respect each other. And I will tell you, don't do this. And it, it, it's, it's, it's astonishing. And it, it, it has a practical idea in Allah as well. You come to eat at someone's home. Now, Allah is, if they are people that have ne'emanis, so people that are trustworthy in Allah, then you can eat there. Even if you know that they have opinions that are different than yours. Why? 
Not because when you go to their house, you can be lenient, but because you know that they will tell you, oh, don't eat that. That's not to your standard. That's not something you want to partake in. So it, it, I, I wish we can say that that is true today, right? If only. For some things, maybe, right? If you come to someone's house and, they, and, and you know, I keep calling this row, so come to someone's house, they would say, oh, don't eat that. That's not how it's right. I think that would be the case. But in some things, we're much more sensitive. And the Mishnah is telling us, that the Mishnah wants us to know and learn from this. That they, even though they were great Talmidei Chachamim, they were giants of men. And they would say, oh, don't, you can't come into my family because it, I wish you would. But according to your opinion, this is prohibited. According to your opinion, what I have here is tummy. I hold it to be tar, but you hold it not to be. So by your standard, this is not kosher for you. Don't eat it. By your standard, and it's not good enough, and therefore don't do it. And the halacha that the Ramah says is that you can therefore go to people's homes and do that. And if we trust each other to that degree, we would say, look, I don't know if you want to eat that because that meat is not a hefsha that you would eat, or that product may not be, you know, to your standard, then you can go and eat it because you know that they wouldn't feed you something like this. It also teaches us something that we can do. That if we know something, somebody has a standard to honor that or respect that, and even if it, it is, you know, stricter than us, but not to feel defensive and offended, but to say, thank you so much. It is such a blessing and such a bracha to have you here. I, I remember uh, it's about a decade ago that there was a, a, a wonderful Hasidish fellow who came from, from uh, Brooklyn. And he was, um, uh, he came here to check wheat in, this, in midsummer to see whether it would be uh, good for the hand milled, hand, hand matzah uh, that they make in certain communities on the East Coast. And he was came here to, 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 to select them and see them. And he wouldn't make it back to Brooklyn for Shabbos. So he was going to go to a hotel. And I called him. I said, you know, it, it would be a shame to, for you to have a Shabbos in a hotel where you can have a Shabbos in a home. He said, no, I don't want to come because I don't want to offend you. I don't eat in anybody's house. I bring, I brought along my own pot, my own, my, my, you know, I'm going to just eat out of my own thing and I don't want to be in your house and not eat. So I said, it would be my pleasure. Come and uh, whatever you want, you'll eat. Whatever you don't want, you don't eat. I'll make space on my black and, 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 and make your stuff. And I, he did, he came, he wouldn't even use my paper. Plate. <laughs> it was uh, uh, fascinating. Well, it's an exaggeration. He ate my paper plates, but he wouldn't eat a thing that we made in our house. Cold water from the sink was about it. Um, but we had a wonderful Shabbos together. The ability to be able to, to respect someone else's opinions, even when it, it seems like belittling me. There is no greater belittling than what Beishamai's opinion, uh, Beishil opinion said about Beishamai. According to Beishil, these families uh, that followed Beishamai were mamzer was a prohibited marriage and a structure, a, 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 you know, a, a, a prohibited family. And yet they didn't, they didn't stop interacting with respect and, and, and appreciation. And that's something that is a valuable lesson to uh, learn in, in, in this teaching. In this we just have a little bit more time. I'd like to jump ahead to uh, the, the question of why did Beishamai, the second reason the Gemara gives as to why, according to Beishamai, they said that there is no prohibition of the, uh, uh, of the Tsaras era. So again, what does this mean? Reuven, who is the deceased brother, was married to two people. One of those women, one of those women is prohibited to Shimon, his brother. In any case, maybe it's his sister, his daughter, maybe it's his it's his mother, whatever it may be. It's his relative, and therefore, in any case, may not they may not uh, uh, be married. 
the tzara, the sister wife, is going to be prohibited as well. And there's no transfer of yibum. That's according to Beishalom. may say, actually, you could. So the question is why. So here the Gemara brings us to a concept that we haven't yet seen really here, and it's a, a, a fascinating and important concept in our law. Ain Isr Something that's already prohibited, another prohibition cannot come upon. So, uh, 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 the, the, the prohibition over here is going to be that there was already a, 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 a prohibition of uh, erva, and therefore the prohibition of uh, the other erva cannot take effect, meaning when Reuven, the first brother that's deceased now, married this woman, who in any case was prohibited to Shema, now there's no prohibition of that, uh, 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 of Achos Isha, uh, uh, sorry, of Eshetach, of the brother's wife, that takes effect. And therefore, it doesn't prohibit the, the sister wife, the tzara, because there is no prohibition. So essentially what the Gemara is saying is a fascinating thing. When Reuven marries Shimon's daughter, Reuven marries Shimon's daughter, what's the prohibition of, and this is not with the Yibum or anything, every time somebody marries a woman, What's the, what's the prohibition of, uh, 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 of that married woman to her father? Well, one, it's his daughter, obviously, prohibited. But also, she's a married woman. Gemara says, no, ain or something that's already prohibited, another prohibition cannot take effect on that. So she, to, to the father, she's not a married woman. Well, she's married, but that's not, that's not the reason for, for the, the prohibition of cohabitation. It is a, on account of an, the original first prohibition. It's his daughter. And therefore, you know, that, that secondary, later come, late coming prohibition of being a married woman doesn't take effect. Being his brother's wife will not take effect. And this is a, 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 a fascinating thing. So, so uh, if based on that, why, does, why don't we say that, um, that actually a Yibum should take effect because it was never um, uh, the, the prohibition of the brother's wife was never there. Well, I don't want to get into it. It's going to be complicated. That, the concept. The concept over here is anus of halalis, and that's an important one. That the reason Beishamai say that the sister wife is permitted in Yibum is because actually the first wife is not prohibited on the basis of being the brother's wife. Therefore, there's no marriage of to be transferred to the brother because that doesn't that that doesn't happen. There is no there is no prohibition that ends and is passed on to the brother. That's the the, the, the concept over here of Bishamai and uh, uh, the fascinating idea of Ain Isr Chalalism. There is a discussion in Tosus here and, and many other uh, avenues of, or, or, of, of looking at this. When we say Ain Isr Chalalism, that there's already a prohibition and therefore another prohibition cannot come and take effect, does that mean it doesn't take effect at all or it takes effect but simply there are no consequences of it? That's one way of saying it. Or do we say it doesn't take effect, but it's mitli tali. It's, it's hovering over, if we could, you know, if we could visualize uh, spirituality. So there's the spiritual prohibition already of, of Isser A, and Isser B is hovering over, but has not yet landed. And as soon as Isser A were to, were to go away, the second one would come and take effect. And therefore, it doesn't allow A to go away because in any case, B is ready to take effect. That's, that's uh, this is language, but this is a, 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 a lengthy conversation that needs to be had and even to, to really look into uh, un understanding the concept of Ain Isra when we say that there's a prohibition already and therefore another prohibition cannot take effect. Doesn't mean it doesn't take effect at all 
doesn't mean it takes effect, but there's no ramification, there's no punishment on account of it, it doesn't have ramifications, or even less, it doesn't take effect at all, it doesn't have ramifications, but it does hover and is waiting and blocking all the rest from going. The uh, last discussion we're going to try and go to is the last tomorrow over here. Um, that uh, uh, the Gemara brings in a discussion about the concept of don't split the community. Don't cut into the community by dividing the community. This has many halakhic ramifications. Um, and there's, there's a limit to it. But basically what this says is, in order that, as Rashi explains it, in order that there should not be two Torahs, two halacha, um, you can't have agudas agudas. You can't make it within one group. One group of people is doing this, and one group of people is doing that. Now, this has a lot of halachic uh, weight. Um, in some places, for instance, Either everybody wears tefillin achalamai or no one wears tefillin achalamai. What, what happens at Kesser where some people wear, and some people don't, uh, uh, in some places say, you can't do that. You can't do that because you can't make separate, you can't make it separate Torahs because it'll look like different Torahs. Now, the question on this is because actually in Halacha, the Halacha says if in one city there are two bastins, you are allowed to have uh, uh, you are allowed to have each one saying differently. You have to have Beishamay Basil. We'll see a little bit more about this, but you can have uh, uh, one group doing one thing and the other group doing another thing in uh, as long as each one has a separate bastin. So you see, it's not it just simply because it's going to look like two Torahs, because that's what the halacha is in any case. You're allowed to have one city do A, and one city do B. Now the Gemara asks, well, what about minhagim? And the Gemara says this is a distinction. A minhag, something that's not the, uh, uh, that, that, that's not halacha. So of course, everybody can do their own things. But what's an obligation, or perhaps only a Torah obligation, that you cannot have them done, do, do it separately. The Rambam adds wording that it's not just on, on a concept of, of, because it's going to look like two Torahs, that it looks like a split, but more because it's going to cause machlekes. It's going to cause a struggle within the community. Therefore, if each one has a separate base tip, well, then it's wonderful because this one has a base tip. So to follow, this one has a base to follow, so it's not going to look like a machlok, because we're going to see, okay, they're following their base then. They're following their base then. Before we get to what qualifies as a base then, that is, a, a, therefore, the halacha is that whenever people know that this is an established halacha already for a certain group, then there's no less is good to do for them to do it in, in a place. Especially, you know, nowadays, where we don't really have any one city that has a minute. All these, everywhere, it's, it's, it's a, 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 a melting pot of various minhagim that come from different places. And therefore, this one wears tefillin and this one doesn't wear tefillin and can daven in the same shul because everybody knows. Svardim don't wear tefillin al-chalamayin, Hasidim don't wear tefillin al-chalamayin, and Ashkenazim wear tefillin al-chalamayin. Great, so we have that makes it. So if they come from this tradition, they come from that tradition, they wear it, and, and, and it's fine. And, and therefore, you can do it in one place because it won't bring to machlokas. Similarly, they'd have an Ashkenazi, the Svartzid, which one? Well, we now know that there are just multiple ways of uh, uh, davening. It's all davening with the same Bore Olam, the creator of the universe, and we daven with the same intent and with the same brachas. And then this one has a word like this, and this one has a word like that. It's slightly different. Slight differences, but ultimately it's the same tefillah and it's the same davening to Hashem. And the fact that the, there are changes, we know already that there are these two sidurim, the sidur Ashkenaz and Svar, and so you can have them both in the same shul. This is based on uh, uh, Rav and some other uh, poskim. However, there are those that are much more strict and say, no, you cannot have 
can't, based on this Gemara, Masasa Agudas Agudas, you cannot have in one place two things. Yes, you can have if you have a separate basin, but then it would have to be in a separate place. It would have to be a separate community. Bishamai, Bishilo, separate. But you can't have them together in one place and doing Agudas Agudas, doing a, a, a Torah in a split, uh, as a split community. What constitutes as a, as a, a base thing? So the Mishaburu brings on the Puskin that it would have to be that they have a, a daily minion three times a day with Asara Batlanim. They have 10 people dedicated to do the needs, the communal needs of Torah and Tila, and Talmud uh, Chacham uh, uh, at its head, etc. So it would require a certain structure. So you can't say just because I'm in a city, well, I follow uh, Basin. No, it has to have a proper structure in order to have that. Next week, Bezashom will continue with this conversation, which comes up a lot uh, and, and more about Beisham and Basilo. They, uh, but, but the concept of what it's going to do is an important one. It has a lot of halakhic ramifications. You cannot, uh, what you cannot do in another community if everybody's doing one thing. Whereas if you have your own community, then you can do it. Um, and, and that's the idea of not creating machlokas by making the Torah look like two separate ones. Thank you again, uh, Rabbi Deichman, for the challenge. I would just like to say, if, if I've ever invited house for a meal, I'm willing to eat your paper plates. Please eat my paper plates. They are compostable. Um, um, but but uh, I, I, I commit this to you. Bez Hashem, if you ever come to eat at my house when they allow those things again, um, and uh, I know of something that you have a chumrah that you don't eat um, something, I will tell you not to eat it if I'm serving or I won't serve it. It's a commitment. Okay, just so you know, I'm good with paper plates. Okay. Plastic? Mm. Mm. I, I have noticed that that in the in our current times, we're seeing a lot a lot of times now you have the same issue with um hakpada, you know, with how comfortable or how much for someone is on COVID itself. The same issue that you've always had with chumras, where perhaps people have differing views on like how machmir someone should be on, let's say, kashras, and you get that discomfort where someone wants to be more stringent and someone wants to be less stringent, and both sides kind of are uncomfortable with each other. So I, you see a lot of the same stuff going on now with COVID, where some people might feel that, uh, you know, all the rules and 10 times more than that, and some people feel no throw them all away and kind of get all the spectrum. And I think that there's a lot That's of- a very um, good comparison. I like that. You know, uh, we don't hold with Chal uh, Yisrael, but um, sometime back, our house was the meeting place for uh, kids from the Wilhelm and local Chabad families, kids from the Oppenheimer and the more Machmir Kassir Yisrael family who were all uh, strict on Chal of Yisrael. So we always had whatever they needed, even though it wasn't our Chumrah. We made sure that our Hakan Sadrachim was, you know, matim to the needs of our guests. So that we didn't have to say to them, oh, you probably wouldn't want this ice cream. <laughs> yeah. this just, we, we accepted the Chumrah when they were here. Let's put it that way. I don't yeah. see why the whole world isn't that way, but what can I say? Uh, if everybody was Aki. Or Devora, actually. So. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask a question real quick? Yeah. So you were making a distinction between, this came up, I thought about it, I tried to flesh it out when we were learning this throughout the week, but you made a distinction between, between things that are halacha and things that are minhagim, but, but what, what, I'm saying, what, is, what does minhag look like that doesn't have halachic ramification? Is yes. it completely removed from halacha, or? And of course, it has halachic ramifications and ha and halachic obligations, but what is its basis? 
You know, what's it's, the difference between a minhag and people who hold different things in halacha? Meaning? Meaning, if one person think, is it a min, is it, is it a minhag to, to wear tefillah and chalamai or not wear tefillah and chalamai? Or there's some no, people the halacha is. That's a halachic obligation. Some people hold you, sh- some people the halacha is you should wear tefillah and chalamai, some people hold you shouldn't. So what's that? Those are, those are, that's a, a halachic obligation. The Torah says to wear tefillah. There's a halachic obligation to wear tefillah. Is there a halacha on that particular day as well or not? But that's a halachic question. A minna question would be not working on Purim. Uh-huh. Right? Not working on Arab Pesach. Right? There's the Gemara. Right? So here you have, there's no halachic obligation not to work. But a lot of people take off work. Some people don't. At what point does it become an established minute? And if it is a minute in our town, but not a minute in the next town, can I go to work in, in a place where, where the minute is not to? That, like, stuff like that. Those are minhagim. Uh, it's like us. people just use interchangeably. Sorry? People sort of use the two interchangeably. They'll be like, is it, people might say, is it your minhag to wear tefillin on Holomoid or not? So that what they're really- Yes, vernacular is, that, is not, vernacular is not always going to be accurate about it. Correct. Uh-huh. Uh, there could potentially be like a lower level of minhag where it's, you know, those situations where I'm not doing malacha, I mean, I guess this might be like what Max is saying with it, the term minhag is vague, but sometimes minhag can just mean like, type of food you eat in a certain time or something that's like entirely not like rooted in like any form of like half there's no like you have to do this it's just like like the minister will bring down like a minahug to do something right i guess maybe i don't know does that like does that would that yeah. fall into the potential like you would have to, you would have to do it when you go to a place, minhag, you can have a difference of minhag, and it doesn't count that you're you're creating machlo, or that you're making tutorials. It's only if you come in and you say, let's see, this particular halacha um, is different. Not minhag, but this particular halacha is is a prohibition that that uh, you know that doesn't exist, or or a mitzvah that you have an obligation to do. So that's where there would be two daughters. Even though, like, like in our case over here, is it machlokes? Is it a Torah obligation or a Torah prohibition? 